Section 24 of Jurisprudence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Jurisprudence by John Salmon. Chapter 16. Titles. Part 1. Section 120. Vestive Facts. We have seen, in a former chapter, that every right involves a title or source from which it is derived. The title is the de facto antecedent, of which the right is the de jura consequent. If the law confers a right upon one man which it does not confer upon another, the reason is that certain facts are true of him which are not true of the other, and these facts are the title of the right. Whether a right is inborn or acquired, a title is equally requisite. The title to a debt consists in a contract, or a judgment, or other such transaction, but the title to life, liberty, or reputation consists in nothing more than in being born with the nature of a human being. Some rights the law gives to a man on his first appearance in the world, the others he must acquire for himself, for the most part not without labor and difficulty. But neither in the one case nor in the other can there be any right without a basis of fact, in which it has its root, and from which it proceeds. Titles are of two kinds, being either original or derivative. The former are those which create a right de novo, the latter are those which transfer an already existing right to a new owner. The catching of a fish is an original title of the right of ownership, whereas the purchase of them is a derivative title. The right acquired by the fisherman is newly created. It did not formerly exist in any one. But that which is acquired by the purchaser is in legal theory identical with that which is lost by the vendor. It is an old right transferred, not a new one created. Yet in each case the fact which vests the right is equally a title, in the sense already explained. For the essence of a title is not that it determines the creation of rights de novo, but that it determines the acquisition of rights, new or old. As the facts confer rights, so they take them away. All rights are perishable and transient. Some are of feeble vitality and easily killed by any adverse influence, the bond between them and their owners being fragile and easily severed. Others are vigorous and hardy capable of enduring and surviving much, but there is not one of them that is exempt from possible extinction and loss. The first and greatest of all is that which a man has in his own life. Yet even this the law will deny to him who has himself denied it to others. The facts which thus cause the loss of rights may be called, after Bentham, divestive facts. This term, indeed, has never been received into the accepted nomenclature of the law, but there seems no better substitute available. The facts which confer rights receive from Bentham the corresponding name of investive facts. The term already used by us, namely title, is commonly more convenient, however, and has the merit of being well established in the law. As a generic term to include both investive and divestive facts, the expression vestive fact may be permissible. Such a fact is one which determines, positively or negatively, the vesting of a right in the owner. We have seen that titles are of two kinds, being either original or derivative. In like manner, divestive facts are either extinctive or alienative, 
the former are those which divest a right by destroying it the latter divest a right by transferring it to some other owner the receipt of payment is divestive of the right of the creditor so also is the act of the creditor in selling the debt to a third person but in the former case the divestive fact is extinctive while in the latter it is alienative it is plain that derivative titles and alienative facts are not two different classes of facts but are merely the same facts looked at from two different points of view the transfer of a right is an event which has a double aspect it is the acquisition of a right by the transferee and the loss of it by the transferor the vestive fact if considered with reference to the transferee is a derivative title while from the point of view of the transferor it is an alienative fact purchase is a derivative title but sale is an alienative fact yet they are merely two different sides of the same event these distinctions and divisions are exhibited in the following table vestive facts include investive facts or titles and divestive facts investive facts or titles include original titles the creation of rights and derivative titles the transfer of rights divestive facts include alienative facts also transfer of rights and extinctive facts the destruction of rights these different classes of vestive facts correspond to the three chief events in the life history of a right namely its creation its extinction and its transfer by an original title a right comes first into existence being created ex nihilo by an extinctive fact it is wholly destroyed by derivative titles and alienative facts on the other hand these being as we have seen the same facts viewed from different sides the existence of the right is in no way affected the transfer of a right does not in legal theory affect its personal identity it is the same right as before though now it has a different owner section 121 acts in the law vestive facts whether they create transfer or extinguish rights are divisible into two fundamentally distinct classes according as they operate in pursuance of the will of the persons concerned or independently of it this is to say the creation transfer and extinction of rights are either voluntary or involuntary in innumerable cases the law allows a man to acquire or lose his rights by a manifestation or declaration of his will and intent directed to that end in other cases it confers rights upon him or takes them away without regard to any purpose or consent of his at all if he dies intestate the law itself would dispose of his estate as it thinks fit but if he leaves a duly executed will in which he expresses his desires in the matter the law will act accordingly so if he sells his property it passes from him in accordance with his declared intent which the law adopts as its own but if his goods are taken in execution by a creditor or vested in a trustee on his bankruptcy the transfer is an involuntary one affected in pursuance of the law's purposes and not of his at all the distinction between these two classes of vestive facts may be variously expressed we may make use for example of the contrasted expressions act of the party and act of the law 
an act of the party is any expression of the will or intention of the person concerned directed to the creation transfer or extinction of a right and effective in law for that purpose such as a contract or deed of conveyance an act of the law on the other hand is the creation extinction or transfer of a right by the operation of the law itself independent of any consent thereto on the part of him concerned the expression act of the party is one of some awkwardness however and it is more convenient in general to substitute for it the technical term act in the law as contrasted with those acts of the law which we have already defined acts in the law are of two kinds which may be distinguished as unilateral and bilateral a unilateral act is one in which there is only one party whose will is operative as in the case of a testamentary disposition the exercise of a power of appointment the revocation of a settlement the avoidance of a voidable contract or the forfeiture of a lease for breach of covenant a bilateral act on the other hand is one which involves the consenting wills of two or more distinct parties as for example a contract a conveyance a mortgage or a lease bilateral acts in the law are called agreements in the wide and generic sense of that term there is indeed a narrow and specific use in which agreement is synonymous with contract that is to say the creation of rights in personam by way of consent the poverty of our legal nomenclature is such however that we cannot afford thus to use these two terms as synonymous we shall therefore habitually use agreement in the wide sense to include all bilateral acts in the law whether they are directed to the creation or to the transfer or to the extinction of rights in this sense conveyances mortgages leases or releases are agreements no less than contracts are unilateral acts in the law are divisible into two kinds in respect of their relation to the other party concerned for in some instances they are adverse to him that is to say they take effect not only without his consent but notwithstanding his dissent his will is wholly inoperative and powerless in the matter this is so for example in the case of a re-entry by a landlord upon a tenant for breach of covenant or the exercise of power of appointment as against the persons entitled in default of appointment or the avoidance of avoidable contract or the exercise by a mortgage of his power of sale in other cases it is not so the operation of the unilateral act is subject to the dissent of the other party affected by it though it does not require his consent in the meantime pending the expression of his will the act has merely a provisional and contingent operation a will for example involves nothing save the unilateral intent and assent of the testator the beneficiaries need know nothing of it they need not yet be in existence but if they subsequently dissent and reject the rights so transferred to them the testament will fail of its effect if on the other hand they accept the provisions made on their behalf the operation of the will forthwith ceases to be provisional and becomes absolute similarly a settlement of property upon trust need not be known or consented to ab initio by the beneficiaries it may be a purely unilateral act subject however to repudiation and avoidance by the persons intended to be benefited by it so i may effectually grant a mortgage or other security to a creditor who knows nothing of it 
where there are more than two parties concerned in any act in the law it may be bilateral in respect of some of them and unilateral in respect of others thus a conveyance of property by a to b in trust for c may be bilateral as to a and b inter se operating by the mutual consent of these two while it may be at the same time unilateral as between a and b on the one side and c on the other c having no knowledge of the transaction so the exercise of a mortgagee's power of sale is bilateral as between mortgagee and purchaser but unilateral so far as regards the mortgager section one hundred and twenty two agreements of all vestive facts acts in the law are the most important and among acts in the law agreements are entitled to the chief place unilateral acts are comparatively infrequent and unimportant the residue of this chapter will therefore be devoted to the consideration of the grounds modes and conditions of the operation of agreement as an instrument of the creation transfer and extinction of rights a considerable portion of what is to be said in this connection will however be applicable mutatis mutandis to unilateral acts also the importance of agreement as a vestive fact lies in the universality of its operation there are few rights which cannot be acquired through the assent of the persons upon whom the correlative duties are to be imposed there are few rights which cannot be transferred to another by the will of him to whom they are presently vested there are few which are not extinguished when their owner no longer desires to retain them of that great multitude of rights and duties of which the adult member of a civilized community stands possessed the great majority have their origin in agreements made by him with other men by agreements of contrary intent he may strip himself almost as destitute of rights and duties as when in the scantiest of juridical vesture he made his first appearance before the law in veto beneficium non dator said the romans by what reasons then is the law induced to allow this far-reaching operation to the fact of agreement why should the mere consent of the parties be permitted in this manner to stand for a title of right are not rights the subject matter of justice and is justice a mere matter of convention varying with the wills of men the reasons are two in number agreement is in the first place evidential of right and in the second place constitutive of it there is in general no better evidence of the justice of an arrangement than the fact that all persons whose interests are affected by it have freely and with full knowledge consented to it men are commonly good judges of their own interests and in the words of hobbes there is not ordinarily a greater sign of the equal distribution of anything than that every man is contented with his share when therefore all interests are satisfied and every man is content the law may safely presume that justice has been done and that each has received his own the determination of the law is needed only in default of the agreement of the parties hence it is that he who agrees with another in any declaration of their respective rights and duties will not be suffered to go back from his word and will not be heard to dispute the truth of his declaration the exceptions to this rule are themselves defined by equally rigid rules and he who would disclaim a duty which he has thus imposed upon himself or reclaim a right which he has thus transferred or abandoned must bring himself within one of those predetermined exceptions otherwise he will be held bound by his own words 
this conclusive presumption of the truth of consensual declarations of right is however only one of the foundations of the law of agreement consent is in many cases truly constitutive of right instead of merely evidential of it it is one of the leading principles of justice to guarantee to men the fulfillment of their reasonable expectations in all matters that are otherwise indifferent expectation is of predominant influence in the determination of the rule of right and of all the grounds of rational expectation there is none of such general importance as mutual consent the human will said aquinas is able by way of consent to make a thing just provided that the thing is not in itself repugnant to natural justice there is an obvious analogy between agreement and legislation the former being the private and the latter the public declaration and establishment of rights and duties by way of legislation the state does for its subjects that which in other cases it allows them to do for themselves by way of agreement as to the respective spheres of these two operations the leading maxim is modus et conventio vincunt legem save when the interests of the public at large demand a different rule the autonomy of consenting parties prevails over the legislative will of the state so far as may be the state leaves the rule of right to be declared and constituted by the agreement of those concerned with it so far as possible it contents itself with executing the rules which its subjects have made for themselves and in so doing it acts wisely for in the first place the administration of justice is enabled in this manner to escape in a degree not otherwise attainable the disadvantages inherent in the recognition of rigid principles of law such principles we must have but if they are established pro re nata by the parties themselves they will possess a measure of adaptability to individual cases which is unattainable by the more general legislation of the state itself amid the infinite diversities and complexities of human affairs the state widely despairs of truly formulating the rules of justice so far as possible it leaves the task to those who by their nearness to the facts are better qualified for it it says to its subjects agree among yourselves as to what is just in your individual concerns and i shall enforce your agreement as a rule of right in the second place men are commonly better content to bear the burdens which they themselves have taken up than those placed upon them by the will of a superior they acquiesce easily in duties of their own imposition and are well pleased with the rights of their own creation the law or the justice which best commends itself to them is that which they themselves have made or declared wherefore instead of binding its subjects the state does well in allowing them to bind themselves section one hundred and twenty three the classes of agreements agreements are divisible into three classes for they either create rights or transfer them or extinguish them those which create rights are themselves divisible into two subclasses distinguishable as contracts and grants a contract is an agreement which creates an obligation or right in personam between the parties to it a grant is an agreement which creates a right of any other description examples being grants of leases easements charges patents franchises powers licenses and so forth an agreement which transfers a right may be termed generically an assignment one which extinguishes a right is a release discharge or surrender as already indicated a contract is an agreement intended to create a right in personum between the contracting parties 
no agreement is a contract unless its effect is to bind the parties to each other by the vinculum juris of a newly created personal right it commonly takes the form of a promise or a set of promises that is to say a declaration of the consenting wills of two persons that one of them shall henceforth be under an obligation to the other naturally assumes the form of an undertaking by the one with the other to fulfill the obligation so created not every promise however amounts to a contract to constitute a contract there must be not merely a promise to do a certain act but a promise express or implied to do this act as a legal duty when i accept an invitation to dine at another man's house i make him a promise but enter into no contract with him the reason is that our wills though consenting are not directed to the creation of any legal right or to any alteration of our legal relations towards each other the essential form of a contract is not i promise this to you but i agree with you that henceforth you shall have a legal right to demand and receive this from me promises that are not reducible to this form are not contracts therefore the consent that is requisite for the creation of rights by way of a contract is essentially the same as that required for their transfer or extinction the essential element in each case is the express or tacit reference to the legal relations of the consenting parties taking into account the two divisions of the consensual creation of rights there are therefore four distinct kinds of agreements one contracts creating rights in personam two grants creating rights of any other kind three assignments transferring rights four releases extinguishing rights it often happens that an agreement is of a mixed nature and so falls within two or more of these classes at the same time thus the sale of a specific chattel is both a contract and an assignment for it transfers the ownership of the chattel and at the same time creates an obligation to pay the price so a lease is both a grant and a contract for it creates real and personal rights at the same time in all such cases the agreement must be classed in accordance with its chief or essential operation its other effects being deemed subsidiary and incidental a frequent result of the difference between law and equity and between legal and equitable rights and ownership is that the same agreement has one effect in law and another in equity in law it may be a mere contract and in equity an assignment or grant thus a written agreement for the sale of land is in law nothing more than a contract imposing upon the seller a personal obligation to execute a conveyance under seal but not in itself amounting to a transfer of the ownership of the land in equity on the other hand such an agreement amounts to an assignment the equitable ownership of the land passes under it to the purchaser forthwith and the vendor holds the legal ownership in trust for him similarly a contract to grant a legal lease or mortgage or servitude is itself the actual grant of an equitable lease mortgage or servitude for it is a maxim of chancery that equity regards that as already done which ought to be done end of section twenty four